The first 11 chapters of the Bible, the book of Genesis, is about cosmic things. God creates the world, and God calls it good. God creates all things in the world, light, sky, earth, and every living thing. God creates humankind, Adam and Eve, and gives them instruction in how to live. All this is in the first few chapters of Genesis. Two weeks ago, we looked at one of these early stories in Genesis, the story of the first children born to Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and the first murder. Cain killed his brother, Abel. This week, we've been inundated again with the continuing and horrible legacy of brothers killing brothers. And it didn't happen with two people in a field like the story. It happened in a big city, as we know, in a high-rise with massive automatic weapons raining down on a music festival. So many killed, so many injured. God is still crying. And God is still calling us to be a more wholesome and compassionate world. In Genesis chapter 12, as I've shared before, the cosmic story of God and the world, of God and people, becomes very specific and very focused. As you may recall, God changes the plan and God calls a certain person, Abraham, who Ginger already uh, alerted us to today, from Haran, a certain place, a certain person from a certain place, along with his wife, Sarah. This is what God said. Go from your country, Abraham, and go from your kindred to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing in the world. From Genesis 12 onward, through all the pages of Scripture, this begins the story of God and God's beloved chosen people. God is Lord of all. God has made the whole world, and God is at work in the world. But God has a particular purpose that starts with particular people, Abraham and Sarah, and this story will go through all the generations of the Bible. It will go through Isaac and Rebekah, through Jacob and Rachel, through kings, through prophets, through ups and downs, good days, bad days, through Jesus and the early church and the disciples, through thousands of years of the church, and even, even to Richmond on 5th Street and to us to us. God's particular purpose through God's people is to bless and to make the people a blessing in the world. God's particular purpose is a world of harmony and hope, a world of joy and justice, a world of peace. How will God make this happen? Well, bring blessing to the world well, it'll happen through God's people, through God's particular people. It starts with Abraham and Sarah, 
And it carries all the way to today. And what's God doing? What's this about? Well, it's about being a blessing in the world and bringing about a world that God intends. Peace and purpose and harmony and hope. I will be your God. You will be my people, God says. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's what he said to Abraham and Sarah. This idea of being God's chosen people is really delicate. Really delicate. Almost as soon as these words from God had reached Abraham and Sarah and entered their ears... Abraham and Sarah get quite grandiose in wanting to hasten God's plans. It's almost as if they said, okay, great, let's get on with it. They started participating in the plan to be a, a blessing, but their efforts were mostly about scheming and plotting and making it happen as they saw fit and bringing them wealth so that they could be great. Just a few verses into the story of chapter 12, it says, Sarah is beautiful. And more than that, she's desirable. So guess what? Sex becomes the bait, and Abraham offers Sarah to Pharaoh. And in return, Pharaoh gives Abraham sheep and oxen and donkeys and slaves and camels. Abraham figures he's on his way to blessing. All this is blessing. So he can be a blessing. But instead of trusting in God and in God's plan and God's purposes, he took the matter into his own hands out of his sense of chosenness. And he made a mess of things. Made a mess of things. And guess what? This is going to happen again and again in the story. None of us are very good at letting God be God. Most of us, like Abraham and Sarah, are better at taking the initiative. We, We see the vision, so let's do it. Let's try to bring it about. And not trusting God and not trusting God's plan, we we put our own plan into place. And this happens again and again in the scriptures. And guess what? It keeps happening with our lives, with our plans. Then we get in this story to a very interesting part of the story. If Abraham and Sarah are going to be a blessing to the world, they don't need just wealth and resources, camels and donkeys and slaves. They need children. Children. God promised Abraham and Sarah that their descendants would be as many as the stars. This is the way to become a great nation, a blessing to the world through progeny. Descendants. Yet the years pass. The journey unfolds, as you recall, and Abraham and Sarah still have no children. None. So in despair, and again, trying to take matters into their own hands instead of trusting God. See, we're good at this. Sarah proposes an arrangement to get children. Progeny to fulfill the blessing. Her plan is to offer her handmaid, Hagar, her slave, Hagar, to Abraham. Hagar would be a surrogate mother, 
perhaps she will bear a child. Then the blessings will continue. Now, in the ancient world, this kind of arrangement was not so unusual as it might sound to our modern ears. If the wife offers her slave, this forestalls the husband from taking a second wife. So the womb, like the muscles of slaves, can be used to serve the master or the master's needs. Sarah and Abraham know they need to have children for the blessing to be fulfilled, for God's purposes to be carried out in the world, hence the plan with Hagar. The plan. But this plan, this plan, as you might guess, because it involves intimacy and jealousy, is fraught with conflict. Hagar indeed conceives, and this alters the relationship between the two women. No surprise there. As Genesis 16 says, Hagar no longer respects her mistress. As the bearer of Abraham's child, she's no longer content to be treated as a slave. Sarah notices this change and takes another action, blaming not herself, who thought up the plan, but blaming Abraham. Sound familiar? (laughs) You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering, Abraham. We're so good at passing the blame. We're all so good at this. Abraham shrugs it off. Sound familiar? Abraham shrugs it off and says, Sarah, do what you want with your maidservant. Sarah kicks pregnant Hagar out of the house. She flees into the desert. But there, Hagar is met by an angel. Met by an angel who tells her to go back. Go back to the house. The angel also says she will give birth to a son whom she shall call Ishmael. She returns and Ishmael is born. Abraham now has a son. But it's going to get messier, as you might guess. If you like interesting stories with dangerous twists and plots, this story is as good as your favorite Netflix story. This story is as full of drama as your favorite television drama. Here's another twist. In Genesis 17, God tells Abraham he's going to have another son born to him by Sarah. At this, Abraham falls on his face and laughs, saying, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will a son be born to a woman 90 years old? He's laughing. Indeed, a year later, Isaac is born. Listen now to Genesis 21. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son whom Sarah bore him. 
And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight years old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, who would have ever said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son, Isaac. Ishmael and Isaac are playing together. So Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son, Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also. Because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and Abraham took bread and a skin of water and he gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with their child, Ishmael, and sent her away. And she departed and she wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and she sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. And she said, do not let me look on the death of this child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and she wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to Hagar, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for he will make a great nation of for I will make a great nation of him. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and he became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. So we have children and jealousy and we have blessing and promise and problems and we have competition and confusion and we have distress and near death. And then we have God. God coming and God at work once again. God responding. So it seems clear, just as Abraham was chosen out of all of humankind to be blessed and to build up God's plans to be a blessing in the world, so is Isaac. Isaac will receive the blessing. But what about Ishmael? What about Ishmael? Ishmael and Isaac are half-brothers. Historically, the tension in this story between Hagar and Sarah 
has created significant and lasting tensions in the world. Jews and later Christians have claimed themselves to be heirs of the covenant, God's precious chosen people. We belong to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel to be blessed in order to be a blessing in the world for God's purposes. That's what Jews and Christians have claimed through the years. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Rachel, these are the families that follow in the story of Genesis that continue to unfold throughout the scriptures, and we're part of that legacy, all the way to Richmond on 5th Street in 2017, to us. As you might know, Muslims have another interpretation of this ancient story, Ishmael, the firstborn son of Abraham, is viewed as the real bearer of the blessing. The chosen one, not Isaac. Muslims accuse the Jews of falsifying the biblical text, rewriting it to make Isaac the hero instead of Ishmael. It's thought that Islam is descended from Ishmael. Abraham through Ishmael. Once these faiths had each claim themselves as heirs of the Abrahamic covenant, it looks like we're destined for continuing conflict and tension and debate and violence. But perhaps we should not be so quick to see things so simply. It may not be so either or. It may not be so clear as we've seen it. Perhaps we should not be so certain that for Isaac to be chosen, Ishmael has to be rejected. In a recent book by one of my favorite writers of all time, Jonathan Sachs, chief rabbi in the United Kingdom, he makes the point that this traditional reading, Isaac chosen, Ishmael rejected, that traditional reading is actually wrong. We've gotten it wrong, and it's misled us for so, so long. In fact, there are four different places in Genesis that say Ishmael is indeed blessed by God. When Hagar was in the desert, you remember, thrown out by Sarah while she was still pregnant, the angel told Hagar, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Does that sound familiar? That's the same language that Abraham heard God speaking. Your descendants will be too numerous to count. And it was spoken to Hagar about Ishmael. In Genesis 17, God speaks to Abraham amidst all the tension between Sarah and Hagar. And God says, hey, as for Ishmael, as for Ishmael, I have blessed him and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly and will make him into a great nation. This sounds so familiar, too, because this is what we've heard uh, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's also applied to Ishmael. And then when Sarah insists that Hagar and Ishmael be sent away because there's not enough blessing for the two of them, when she sees them playing in the house and says they got to go, actually God says to Abraham, listen to Sarah. It is through Isaac, that descendants will bear your name. Fine. But then God says, 
I will make the sons of your maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. God confirms that Ishmael is God's own also and blessed accordingly. And then finally, when we heard, as we heard in the passage today, when Hagar is running out of water and she's in the desert and her son is off there a bow and arrow away and dying from thirst, an angel appears and says, God hears you. An angel says what angels say. Fear not. Fear not, for God has heard the cry of your son under the bush and will make him, Ishmael, into a great nation. That's what the angel said. God was with the boy as he grew up. That's what it says. Isaac has been chosen for a specific purpose, no doubt. But Ishmael is not rejected. Ishmael is also cared for and sustained and watched over and protected and blessed and made great also. We so often minimize or miss this point. And it's led to so many continuing conflicts and so many tensions and so much violence. And then... As if that wasn't enough, there are two more important scenes that involve Ishmael and God's amazing ways. In Genesis 25, after Sarah has died, Abraham took another wife named Keturah. She bore him six more sons. We've had all this drama about blessing and sons. And and after Sarah dies, Abraham has another wife and six more sons. Many of the rabbis actually think that Keturah, the wife that Abraham took after Sarah died, is none other than Hagar. She went off and lived a life and took another name, and then when Sarah died, she's welcomed back into Abraham's home, welcomed back into Abraham's heart even. He brought her back to give her a place of honor. He brought her back and had more sons. And you know what else happens in the same chapter, chapter 25 of Genesis. Abraham dies, old and full of years, it says, and he was gathered to his people. And then it says, it says his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him at his grave near Mamre. Ishmael, Isaac, standing there at Abraham's grave together. Amazing. Amazing. There's something so important for us to learn here and pay attention to in these days, especially when religious tensions and religious violence is about to overtake the world. We're so quick to assume that Isaac and Ishmael live separate lives. We're so ready to focus and fight on who's chosen and who's not. We're so happy assuming one religion is best and the other is not. But a more careful reading of this Genesis story of the half-brothers, the half-brothers show that God is always faithful and God is always present and God is always at work and God is always caring. God is interesting in blessing people to be a blessing. That's the message. 
We all have different journeys, but we're all beloved by God. The two half-brothers stand together at Abraham's grave. They're standing together at Abraham's grave. No hostility. No competition among them for God's love. Their futures diverge, but there's no conflict. And they're not competing. And they're certainly not killing each other. God's affection encompasses them both. What an image. What an image for the world. Brothers and sisters can live in peace. Half-brothers are still brothers. Our Muslim half-brothers are still our brothers. We're called to a more wholesome and compassionate world. This is what God intends. Blessed to be a blessing. You know what? Too often we're, we're kind of like Sarah. We're afraid that there won't be enough. There's not enough love to go around. There's not enough water in the desert. There's not enough inheritance for everybody. That's what we're afraid of. That's what can be our modus operandi. But God keeps surprising us. God keeps surprising us. If half-brothers were with such different destinies, can stand peacefully together at their father's grave. Friends, we can certainly respect each other and respect our brothers and half-brothers around the world, his sisters and half-sisters, and we can certainly work together for a more wholesome and compassionate world. This is our calling. Blessed to be a blessing, always, all of us. May it be so. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise, to hear your call, to live as a blessing always. Well, that will allow us to abide forever with you. We seek that way, following Christ our Lord. Amen.